This morning we're continuing in our sermon series looking at the prayers of Paul in his letters in the New Testament. So if you do have one of the Pew Bibles, you might like to turn again to Philippians chapter 1. It's page 193. I've been praying this week that this sermon is not just me standing up speaking to you, but actually this is a corporate exercise. We're all in this together. We all want to understand God's words. If you do have the Red Pew Bibles, or maybe you're looking at your um, Bible on your phone, whatever it might be, Philippians chapter 1, it's the Pew Bibles page 193. As we turn to that, let's pray that God would speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you for this glorious day that you have created. And as the light shines through the windows of this church, we pray that the light of your word would come into our lives. Lord, may these be words of truth, words of encouragement, words of help in our Christian life. And we pray that now your Holy Spirit would move among us. Please show us your will, and please strengthen us to live for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you growing Now, there might be several ways of answering that question. How dare you? Are you saying I look fat? I could mean, are you growing physically, both in height or in weight? You could answer, well, I'm quite well off, thank you very much, so I'm British and I don't talk about money. I could mean, are you growing in wealth and prosperity? You might even say, well, I'm trying to grow wiser. As I grow older, I'm trying to be a better person. I could be talking about trying to grow in emotional intelligence, in personal development. But this morning Paul is asking us, and myself included, are you growing in your Christian faith? Are you growing spiritually? But this is not a guilt trip. It is not about making us feel bad. Feeling guilty is a terrible motivation to doing anything in the Christian life. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wants to encourage us, just as he did for those Philippian believers 2,000 years ago. He wants us to understand the full implications of the faith you do have in Jesus. If you're a Christian today, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have full assurance that your life is hidden with God and we have eternal life. We are a new creation in Christ. Now let's just discover the full implications of what that means for us. I think part of the battle is being really honest before God. There's no point in pretense, no point trying to pretend that we're somebody we're not. If we feel spiritually dry and we're just hanging on by our fingertips, bring that to God. Be honest. If we feel a lack of faith when we pray, Bring that to our Father and ask for his grace and strength. You see, Paul the Apostle is a man who understands the human heart. He was transformed from the murderous, violent Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the Apostle of the risen Lord Jesus. He knows what it's like to have a life full of hatred and bitterness and then to be transformed by the love of Jesus. He knows about growing in a relationship with God, not content with mediocrity, never content with just bumbling along the bottom, but pushing ahead. 
In chapter 3 of this great letter to the Philippians, he says these words. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. See, this is the Apostle Paul. He wants us to push ahead, to strive, to push on for the faith in Jesus. I want us to consider this morning that it's not okay simply to say, I'm a Christian, that's it. But are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your discipleship? Do we love Jesus more and more and more? Paul wants every disciple to get to know God better. Look down again at our reading. Let me read it to you, verses 9 to 10 of our reading. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that on the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. This is certainly not sitting on our hands and doing nothing. This is not about sitting there feeling self-satisfied, feeling content with where we are. As Christians, Paul wants us to strive to get to know God better. And it all starts with love. We are nothing as Christians without love. But not a sort of slushy, weak and sentimental sort of love. Here is a love overflowing with knowledge and full insight. You need both love and knowledge and insight. So we know what is best in every situation we find ourselves in. We all live in busy worlds. Life is complex. There's lots of demands upon us, lots of choices along the way. And those choices and decisions we will make be based upon the values, the loves we have in our lives. What we truly hold dear. What is our first love? We're all different. We're all going to use our time in different ways. But we need to be wise. Do we have a good balance between work, leisure, family, hobbies, church activities? Do we make time to grow as a disciple? Maybe committing ourselves to being in a small group, committing ourselves to being in a prayer triplet, maybe reading a good book, maybe doing something to grow in our faith. How are we using our time? But maybe we also need to think about, well, what is best? What is the best in this situation, and do we need God's wisdom? It might look different when you're in your 20s compared to when you're in 60s or 70s or 80s. It might look different depending on your different personality. But Paul is talking about living a very wise and considered life, knowing what's the best course of action in every situation we find ourselves in. And that is not easy. We're all confronted with really difficult decisions to make. What is right as a Christian? Or think about our money. If we're loving, if we have knowledge and insight, what is the best way of using my money? Do I consider my own comfort above everything else? 
Does our faith ever impact how we spend our money? Are we prepared to sacrifice our own comfort and interests for the sake of others? Are we giving in a planned, prayerful way towards the church and the mission of the gospel around the world? When I was a curate, my training incumbent used to say, show me a person's bank statements and I will show you what they really love. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? What do your bank statements say about you? Do they show your priorities? Where your loves really are? Again, Paul's not trying to make us feel guilty. He's simply asking us to be aware of our responsibilities and our privileges as a Christian. Are we serving one another? Are we showing compassion, practical care for one another? We've been praying for the Middle East today. Will we practically care for those people? Are we growing as a disciple? That's the first thing that Paul wants us to understand. But he also wants us to understand not just growing, but are we being godly? Look down again at our reading, verse 10. To help you to determine what is best, so that on the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness, comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. We want to love with knowledge and insight. For what end? For what purpose? So we would live a life which is pure and blameless, producing a harvest of righteousness, as Paul so beautifully puts it. And did you notice twice in this passage, in verse 6 and verse 10, he talks about the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, that day when Christ returns to usher in a new age and call all of us to account. Now, this is one thing I've really noticed going through the letters of Paul in the New Testament. If you want to look at his prayers, they're always future-focused. We pray with a future in mind. Our lives now are to be lived in the light of Christ coming again. The future has got to make an impact on the present. Just imagine, for instance, turning to your diary or to your calendar on the wall and you see these words, holiday in Spain, two weeks. Would that make your heart sing? Would that put a bounce in your step? Wouldn't everything else seem bearable with that holiday on the horizon? Wouldn't life seem better if you knew you were going for two weeks to Spain? But imagine turning the page and it said, dentist, root canal surgery. (laughs) Tell you what, that would not put a bounce in your step, would it? Unless you're a dentist. (laughs) I think there might be a sinking feeling, a bit of dread. You might even groan. Well, that looming up, it's going to put a downer on everything else, isn't it? What you think about in the future is going to make an impact today in your life. Do we ever ponder the fact that one day this world as we know it will draw to an end? Life is not a history of cycle of events going on and on and on. According to the Bible, there is a road we're on and it will end when Christ returns. A few weeks ago, I got my new diary for 2024. And you know what it's like when you get a new diary? You have to put all the different things in for the year ahead. All those different appointments, all those different dates you need to think of. Do we ever consider 
that that year may not finish? Do we ever really, really believe that Christ could come back and that diary will never finish? Every appointment, every date, every holiday, every booking is always provisional. One day, Christ will return. And if that's true, as we pray, it must have a future focus. And all the way through Paul's prayers in the New Testament, we find that future focus. How we pray must be going to an end point. Very soon we'll be moving into the season of Advent in the church calendar. And there's a really strong focus all the way through Advent, not just at the first coming of Jesus in Bethlehem as a baby, but his second coming as judge of all. In that season of Advent, which always gets trampled by all the razzmatazz and commercialism of Christmas, really strong, Christ will return. In verse 6 of our reading, it talks about our Christian journey will come to completion on that day. We're moving forward to that end point. But the church this morning is an outpost of heaven. It is a taste, a foreshadow, no matter how faint, of what heaven will be like. Because we'll meet together as the Lord's people and we will praise God forever. You've just come here for an hour today. Imagine what's going to be like worshipping with this bunch of people forever. The church is a foretaste, an outpost of that end day. So Paul encourages us to grow in our faith. He encouraged us to be godly. And I'm really pleased I got another G for this sermon. It's about glory. The glory of God. Look again at verse 11 of our reading. Having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Paul wants believers everywhere to understand this is our ultimate goal. The glory of God. Life isn't meaningless. It hasn't. It's not purposeless. We are here to glorify God. But often if we're honest with ourselves, even when we're trying to do something good, we have an eye on what others think about us. Will they be impressed if I do this thing? Will it be good for my reputation? Have you ever heard of a humble brag? When we try to pretend to be humble but we can't help slipping in the good things we're doing for others. Even our very best things are sometimes with a view to somebody liking us or trying to appreciate us even more. It's part of our human nature. It bolsters our pride. It strokes our ego. But Paul this morning wants to take us on a very different journey. By very consciously pushing down our selfish pride and instead of glorifying God. That's where he wants our focus to be. And our sense of joy and satisfaction should not be located in the fact that though we don't deserve it, so our sense of joy and satisfaction should be located in the fact that God loves us no matter what we do. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God loves you no matter what you do. God cannot love us any more And he's already shown by sending his son. God loves us unconditionally because that is who he is. Now let me read you a little bit from a book I was reading. And it's a great book. That's working. 
It's a great book on these prayers of Paul. It's called Praying with Paul by Don Carson. Well, let me read you a little bit of um, explanation of who this chap is, Bishop Stanway, you can see in front of you. Bishop Stanway was used by God to multiply churches and strengthen the outreach of the gospel throughout East Africa. In Tanzania, he was responsible for creating more than 20 dioceses, and some referred to him as the Apostle to Tanzania. In retirement, he helped to find a seminary in North America. But when I met him, he had returned to his native Australia, and Parkinson's disease had so debilitated him that he could no longer talk. He communicated by writing on a pad of paper. More precisely, he could no longer write, but printed his answers in scarcely legible block capitals. By the time I got to know him a little, I felt emboldened to ask him how he was coping with his crippling disease. He had been so active and productive throughout his life. How was he handling being shunted aside? He had to print his answer on that pad of paper three times before I could read it. And this is what he wrote. There is no future in frustration. That's what that godly, elderly gentleman wrote. In short, Bishop Stanway would not allow himself the luxury of frustration. He lived with eternity's perspective before him, and frustration plays no part there. He simply had, had not tied his ego to his service, so that when the active, fruitful forms of service he had enjoyed for decades were withdrawn, he was not threatened. He could still trust his master and pursue what was best within the constraints imposed upon him. I think that's great as an elderly gentleman, as somebody who's loved the Lord for many years, to write those words. There is no future in frustration. Friends, when all else is stripped away, when our health, our youth, our strength is all gone, what is left? What is left is that God loves us and he sent his son for us. John the Baptist got it right when he said, thinking of Jesus, he told the crowds, he must increase, I must decrease. That's what it says in John chapter 3. He must increase, I must decrease. He would have echoed Paul's words that we must produce a harvest of righteousness. Not for me, but for the glory of God. So how will all this change our prayer lives? Well, I want to encourage us to pray a little bit deeper, to go beyond just the superficial, the physical things affecting our lives, but to pray for one another and to pray for ourselves in perhaps a deeper, more spiritual way, to pray that we would all grow in our faith. We would want to move on and do what is best. Let's pray for one another that we would live lives which are godly, which are pleasing to Christ. And let's pray that we wouldn't just want to glorify ourselves, but we give all the glory to the Lord Jesus, who gave up everything for us. May that be on our hearts and minds today as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Shall we pray? Lord God, I thank you that you know us. 
and you still love us. We thank you for your love that is not dependent upon how we perform, on what we do or don't do. Thank you that your love for us sent Jesus to the cross, who gave up everything for us. Lord, help us to grow in our Christian lives, to know you more and more. I pray that we be people of love, with knowledge and insight. And in every situation, we'd want to bring glory to you. Lord, help us to work together as your people. Help us to make progress in our discipleship. Lord, we thank you for this local church of St. Lawrence in Lechlade. We thank you that you bring us together in the gospel. May we encourage one another, love one another, and help each other live the Christian life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son, and our Lord. Amen.